another episode of Amazing Starts Here. We chat with Treyer Van Allen, who is the general manager of the St. Lucie Mets. Uh, Bill, during this interview, he's a general manager, so you hear his computer ping about 30 times because he gets emails. But you uh, you got somebody on this uh, on this podcast who's a very busy man, and not a lot of people realize how much work goes into, first of all, putting on a single baseball game. But this man is leading the charge, handling spring training, and then the St. Lucie Mets minor league season. Uh, it's a very cool interview, by the way. I have to say that if if you're going to spring training at all this year, I would listen to this just to kind of get an update. But Treyer's uh, he's got a lot of things to handle. Yeah, it's, spring training is my favorite time of the year, and any experience I've had going down there. Um, if you love minor league baseball, it's minor league baseball in the terms of the setting and how close you can get. Um, but the players are much, much better. You know, you're dealing with Jacob DeGrom and Pete Alonzo and guys who you, you watch on TV and then see highlights of every night. So it's an amazing setting. What they redid, the uh, the renovations down there in, in St. Lucie is amazing. And uh, I was just surprised that, you know, with a, only a few days here left until the first spring training game, that we were able to get Treyer uh, on for as long as we were without somebody running in and telling them <laughs> that they needed to get painted or cleaned or something like that. So. Uh, it was very interesting and a lot of good stuff came out of this one for sure. And not only baseball stuff, but if you're a fan of bobbleheads, I feel like the end of the interview might be something for you. So stick around for Treyer Van Allen. So Treyer, we just saw on Twitter that Mike Puma is reporting the Mets sold out of the entire home Grapefruit League schedule in nine minutes. 1,400 fans per game in nine minutes. That sounds like a lot. And then we find out that you're the guy that's kind of leading the way for all this stuff. So I'm sure that we have a lot to unpack, but how overwhelming, how exciting, and how's it going down there in Florida for spring training? Well, first things first, uh, everything's going great. Um, I wish I could angle my screen here so you can see outside that it's a, a crisp 70 degrees on the scoreboard. And um, I, I don't know, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful out here. So I'm not trying to rub it in, but I know uh, <laughs> pretty much everywhere in the country other than South Florida is a, uh, it's uh, not sharing the same sentiments, but uh, no, in any case, um, yeah, that whole headline there that Puma tweeted out, I did see that. And aside from that number of the 1400, it was, yeah, we were very excited. You know, it's a, it's a shame that unfortunately due to the social distancing and, you know, the NLB protocols, the 20% capacity, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that the 1400 is kind of the magic number that we're working with. Um, but nonetheless, there is uh Unquestionably, there's a lot of excitement around the club and just around people getting back out to the ballpark and and getting to take in a you know a spring training game. So we're we're thrilled about it and I just can't wait to get started. Yeah, we're we're thrilled for baseball too. I mean that, that's why we wanted to have you on. We're we're months away. Everybody else in Binghamton and Syracuse were we're months away, and you're you're days away from getting baseball started down there in Florida. So you talked a little bit about the, the protocols and then the social distancing. So what is exactly is that experience going to look like when uh, when a fan does come into uh, Clover Park down there. So the easiest way to describe it is kind of what we all saw during the, the football season where you saw, you know, stand, stands that normally would be filled with fans and it's like strategically placed little, we call them pods, you know, a pod of four people here, two here, uh, five here, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that's more or less what it's kind of a big jigsaw puzzle that we took our, you know, call it 5,500 blue seats that we have here at the park. And we basically had to reconfigure that into these, uh, these pods. Um, the other tricky thing too, is when you sell these pods, you, you know, you have a pot of four, for example, 
they have to go to the same person buying them. You can't just split that up and say, okay, someone's going to buy two of those seats and the next person's going to buy the other two. They have to be under the same, uh, you know, the same patron basically. So it's a little, like I said, it was definitely a challenging endeavor. And I know Kyle from our staff worked vigorously with uh, Ruel, Michael, and the rest of the crew up in uh, the city field ticket office, trying to lay things out and make it, you know, uh, have it make as, make as much sense as possible. But that's one of the first things you're going to notice. The other thing too, is just going to be the commitment to uh, providing a, a safe and clean ballpark for fans. Now, granted, those are priorities, even in a non-COVID world, but they take almost an extra set of importance now in this world that we live in. Um, we're, you know, our ushers are going to be equipped with Lysol wipes. I mean, very visual. The optics are going to be, you know, that this place is clean. You know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, all the touch points are going to get covered, you know, multiple times throughout uh, a fan's, you know, uh, duration of the ballpark. And like I said, just doing as much as we can to keep everyone as safe and, um, you know, the facility as clean as possible. How do you handle the food situation when someone wants to get a bite to eat or a hot dog? So, yeah, no, good question. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. We, we're going to have 1,400 people here and, you know, we list our capacity at 7,000. And there's concession stands, the two main bars and everything spread up through, uh, spread out throughout the, throughout the concourse. And that's more or less what we're going to have to continue to open. We're going to have to strategically place concession cards and, you know, each concession stand is going to be open just with limited registers to try to disperse, to try to disperse the crowd and, you know, keep everyone as uh, socially distanced as possible. But uh, no, we're, Believe me, I'm excited to have my first Nathan's hot dog. I, uh, I know the, the stories and the jokes going around that people, you know, COVID-19, they put on like the freshman 15 and weight and stuff. I literally lost about 20 pounds. And the only thing I can attribute that to is to not eating ballpark food on a daily basis. So we'll see how that goes once we start games here. But So my favorite parts of, of your ballpark down there are obviously the, the, the berm and right field, which is, you know, my favorite thing. And I wish we had it in, in Brooklyn ourselves. And then the, the new bar in left field that uh, just opened up last year with part of the renovation. So how are those going to be handled? Are, are they even open? Um, or what is that going to be like when, when people come to the ballpark? No, that's a great question. So the, the berm itself will be open and we did program uh, ticket sales for out there. But instead of like what we're used to seeing, especially on opening day when the seven line army usually comes down and they pack the place like a, you know, almost like a mosh pit at a concert. Um, we have little blocks or I'm sorry, little plots of uh, painted squares out in the berm where you can seat a pod of four people. So that's more or less how it's going to get divvied up. And I think we have about 30 pods uh, call it out there, just little spray painted squares out in the grass that that will be where, you know, people that buy those tickets will be assigned to that little, that little area of grass basically. Uh, and then the Jim Beam bar, uh, the left field bar that you're referring to, which that was part of the, the new renovations, which I'm sure we can get to that in a minute here, but the bar itself, um, it's going to be more or less the perimeter will be kind of stanchioned off. So it, the most important thing, it will be open. However, the, you know, what, we, what we're used to seeing of people posting up at the bar and kind of creating a destination there, it's not going to quite have that same appeal. You're going to be able to go up, uh, order a cocktail, preferably a Jim Beam drink, and then take it back to your seat. That's, that's a good GM there, making sure you get your sponsors in there. That's very <laughs> – you've done this before. I appreciate that. Um, so one, one more thing just about coming to the ballpark. Is there going to be temperature checks? Are you requiring negative testing or anything like that, like some of the uh, – the, the arenas up here in New York that are opening are going to 
have you know requirements for for negative testing but uh is there anything like that that's going to be required to get into the ballpark from a from a from a fan standpoint no there will not be it'll just be the normal protocols of um walking through the gate walking through the metal detectors um very similar to what they've done you know fans have done in the past the one major change let me rephrase that the two major changes one that there'll be no bags allowed we used to have uh, the ability to bring in small tote or backpack type bags um, and now to help encourage contactless and, you know, not having our employees having to search bags and stuff like that. We've eliminated bags altogether. Um, the other major change is the, the face masks and every fan coming through the gate will have to have a mask on uh, unless you're actively eating or drinking. Um, you will be required to wear your mask, even though it's an outside venue and everything else. But that'll be part of the, the protocol. So those are probably the two biggest changes that fans will see. This is, this is all interesting to me because I mean, it's uncharted territories for, for everybody. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we're up here and three months away and I'm glad we're three months away because I want you guys to figure it out. <laughs> tell us, tell us what. <laughs> no, no question. And, and you're right, Billy. Like there really is no true playbook for this, you know, and that's very evident with everyone that's collaborating on, you know, the, the, the goals are the same as that we want to keep everyone from players to fans want to keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, but you know, there, there's no, this hasn't been done before, you know, so it is a lot of figuring out as we go and just making adjustments. Um, you know, and that's just kind of what our staff, we're doing the best we can to, you know, I don't want to say roll off the punches, but that's kind of what it is. You know, you're just literally adapting as we go and, you know, Hey, we need a tent out here. Okay. Well, let's go get a tent. Let's figure this out, you know, and just being, like I said, being as, Proactive as we can, but then also reactive. And um, as new, you know, whatever new uh, requirements come out, we're ability to handle it. One of the things I was uh, wondering, I think most of us up in New York are wondering, is that a lot of these places, like Billy said, are requiring a test within 72 hours. And that's great when, you know, the Knicks and the Devils play every seven days. But when you have game after game after game during a homestand, how is that going to happen? So how much of that... Uh, the non-testing at these sites comes from you versus listening to the state versus listening to MLB and constantly coming up with the, the right course of action. Yeah, no, we're, we're basing all of our protocols on what's been laid out to us from major league baseball. Um, so any, everything from, you know, um, our assistance with the daily screening for players and staff, but also with providing, you know, stuff like isolation rooms and just carving out areas of our facility to meet everything that MLB is requiring. We're basically, we're following their, their lead on everything. We're not going rogue and deciding anything on our own, you know, and even the 20% part too, that was all kind of, you know, came from up top basically, you know. Uh, and then just one last thing from, for me in regards to the, the, the COVID stuff, I would imagine you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, part of the, the experience at uh, spring training is going to the backfields and, trying to interact with players and getting autographs and things like that. And I'd imagine that's not something that's, that's feasible based on having to keep everybody um, safe and getting them. You're no, absolutely right. And, you know, yesterday was the first full team workout and in a normal year, that would have been, we would have had 1500, 2000 fans back there um, walking the backfields, just cheering on the guys. I and mean, I know everyone was excited to see Lindor arrive and that of course didn't happen. You know, we, we, we're, we're, the, the backfields are completely shut off aside from credentialed media. That's all that's back there. That's not a, a Mets player or personnel. So definitely a different feel. There's no question. Now, when this all started last year, I was actually down in, in St. Lucie when this 
all, all hell sort of broke loose. So I, I'm one of the, the few, I think, who actually got to experience the new ballpark and, and see exactly how beautiful it turned out. Um, so for, for those up here uh, in, the, in the north that didn't get a chance to make it down last year um, and are maybe coming down this year, um, what are some of the, your favorite you know, touch points there at the ballpark that you know, everybody should experience? Well, I would say the, the, the one thing, especially for anyone that's been here, um, I'll call it the old, bar, the old ballpark. Anyone that had been here prior to a, a renovation, the first thing you're going to immediately notice is how wide and spread out everything is now. The concourse, basically the whole stadium underwent uh, a $55 million renovation, which built the entire front of the complex out. So it expanded all of our interior space, larger clubhouse, uh, workout areas for the players and staff. Um, but in turn, that that uh, expanded the main concourse level. So we had in the old setup, we had a lot of really tough pinch points with concession stands and where the lines would queue. And if you were a fan walking to the concourse, you'd, you'd have a tough time navigating that on a, on a, a busier game. Whereas now, I mean, I, I can't wait for the opportunity to try to pack this place with 7,000 plus people, even when that time comes and People are going to have the ability to move around freely. That, that's how great it is. Um, that, the points of sale for concessions also, um, and again, in a normal setup, they're literally, you can't walk more than five feet without bumping into a, a food cart, a beer cart, a beverage cart, whatever it may be. If you're in the mood or you're thirsty or hungry, you shouldn't have to wait in line here to get something to eat or drink, as long as you're not too picky on what you're looking for. It, it's, that was, those are the big changes that I saw. Um, other big things, the Met graphic package that they implemented uh, is is awesome. If anyone hasn't seen that online, I'm sure anyone that was here last year took a picture in front of one of the numerous David Wright murals or Tom Seaver pictures or whatever. It's They did a really, really creative job of meshing old photos of new photos to really kind of give it this cool look. It's, I don't know, hopefully that does it to try to help sell people to come down here and check this out again in a normal world because we're sold out now, but um, and then we did mention before the Jim Beam bar and that kind of whole deck uh, overlooking left field. Um, aside from the bar itself, it's a kind of wide open. I'm looking out at it now, actually. That's why my eyes are gla- glancing off. But uh, it's a wide open deck area and it overlooks the uh, the pitchers, the, the practice mounds that the pitchers warm up on. It also overlooks field seven, which is one of the backfields that oftentimes during spring training hosts B games and kind of other other, other activities. So you can be watching the main game going on in the main stadium and then just literally turn around and watch Jacob deGrom throwing a bullpen, you know, and standing right above him basically, or watching a practice game with, you know, XYZ player out there. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's more than just actually watching the, you know, the program game that you bought a ticket for. There's a lot more that you're able to see from that vantage point. So it's pretty cool. Again, oh, oh, we're very spoiled. There's no question. This is a beautiful facility. Um, and one other endorsement I'll say here, the, um, I mentioned before, like the new clubhouse and office space and everything. Last year, when um, the returning players, the players that had played here prior to uh, the renovation, seeing the look on their faces when they first walked in and saw the new the new uh, setup that they had, the player amenities, their their jaws dropped. It was that was a cool like wow moment to say wow we you know this was this was a home run so to speak you know what I mean it was uh, very well received by everyone involved so thumbs up. Yeah, it really was uh, amazing to me when you when you walk in. I was just struck by the, the entry the entryway to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking about the, the meshing of the old and the new with the images on the concourse, which are great. But they have you know like the old Shea paneling, 
um, with the, like the little yes. stairs, and then they have the home run apple and stuff when you're walking in, um, and just how how big and spacious everything is, and like the concourse you mentioned is, you, know, you can drive a drive a truck through there, and then in yeah. plenty of room on either side, and the the, yeah. the bar the bar in left field, which um, you know when we work so many baseball games up up here that when you actually go to a game. Uh, it's a rarity, but I, I love always coming down there to see exactly what you talked about. We were in the Jim Beam bar and you could, Jacob DeGrom was throwing a B game on the backfields. And, um, you know, we're, we're watching that with one eye and then Michael Conforto hits a home run you know, <laughs> on the other side. So it's a, it's a very unique venue. So I think everything that went on down there is, it was, I know it was a, for yourself, a lot of work and a lot of long nights and a lot of stress, making sure things were going to be done uh, in time for opening up uh, the gates last year. But I think it was well worth it for sure. Uh, right. So, you know, as we're talking about some renovations there. There's also been some re renovations in the, the way the systems, uh, minor league systems running with uh, us sort of swapping places a little bit. Um, here in Brooklyn will be the high A affiliate and you guys are the low A affiliate. Um, how has that sort of changed operations for you in terms of maybe even travel? I know for us, we have, we're pretty spaced out. We have, you know, Hudson Valley in Brooklyn in the north and Bowling Green in Kentucky and Rome, Georgia in the South. So it's a little bit more packed in in Florida, but how has that sort of changed things for you? I, you know, I really don't think it does. And I, when they made the kind of major league baseball um, made those initial announcements and stuff, I had some of our season to holders reach out to me and saying, Oh, you know, we're low A now. Oh my goodness. You know, I was like, I was like, God, I don't really don't think it's going to matter. You guys aren't going to really notice any significant change. I don't think in, um, you know, in the quality of baseball and, and what we're watching out here, I mean, nothing, nothing's going to change from our, from a programming standpoint, all the promotions and Bill, you know, this, all the giveaways and all the goofy stuff, that's all going to remain the same. Um, but I do think though, that the level of talent that we're going to get here, um, should, again, it, it, I'm sure it'll be a somewhat of a step down from high A, but I don't think it's going to be that much of one. And if anything, this should be kind of a neat experience for us in that, and our fans in that this would be the first chance for typically for draft picks and, you know, recently signed players that they'll, they'll make their professional debut in a St. Lucie Met uniform, you know, the, you know, the Brett Beatty, P. Crow Armstrong type guys, you know, as they move forward, you know, the next ones of those guys will play here first, I would think. So I don't know if anything, that could be kind of exciting, but um, yeah, no, I, I really do the, what major league baseball did and everything. I feel like they took the Florida state league, what used to be the Florida state league and tried to emulate that throughout, you know, we were a, Prior to this upcoming season, we were a 12-team league, and the furthest road trip was, I think, Fort Myers to Daytona, which might be four hours, maybe, let's call it. And that's, you know, a blink of an eye. I know for, you know, for Brooklyn, what you guys have been used to up there for your guys. But, um, you know, moving forward, we're, we, we did lose two teams, so now we're down to 10 teams. And I, I don't see anything really changing from our eyes. You know, we're just looking, we're just fortunate to have a schedule and we can, uh, you know, once we get spring training under our belt here and get things rolling, we're going to start, you know, promoting the the minor league scenes. And so looking forward to it. Yeah. As far as talent is concerned, I heard a kind of an interesting perspective uh, on the the show before the show, which is like a minor league podcast that that's out there. They were saying that, now that low A becomes kind of that facility league where they uh, warm weather league, where some of these guys, like you said, are stepping into the country for the first time ever, or come from you know the warm weather States like California, Texas, or Florida, uh, instead of throwing them in somewhere crazy in the Northeast, their first time here, now they're going to be in warm weather, Florida. So you've observed talent uh, for, for many years. So what do you think about that perspective of if you do get a young guy, it's they're kind of cozying them into the, the minor league system. 
No, that's a good, that's a good perspective on that. And, you know, we have our part of what our complex is here, you know, the main, we have our main facility, our main stadium, if you call it that, but we also have five full-size practice fields as well as our minor league complex on the opposite side of the, uh, you know, on the opposite of the complex here. So yeah, these, these guys, essentially their first stop, you know, especially some of the ones from the Dominican or even around the country for that matter, their first stop in professional baseball is in Port St. Lucie. Uh, not necessarily as a St. Lucie Met, but as a young minor leaguer um, on the back end of our complex, um, playing either in the GCL or instructional league, extended spring training, any of that other type stuff. So their first team then would basically be just a quick golf cart ride away over to our clubhouse here, and then they become a St. Lucie Met. So I think that transition kind of, it definitely makes sense. You know, I always thought it was somewhat, you know, the way minor league baseball used to be, you know, set up where, not taking into account the short season teams, but you'd have guys that were here in spring training leave here to go to, you know, our old low way affiliate in Columbia, then bounce back right back here to St. Lucie, then head back to, you know, I mean, you had a lot of, it seemed like unnecessary travel. And so now, and I'm sure this is probably part of the goal of what major league baseball wanted to do. And this whole thing is streamlining stuff, but now it kind of makes it sort of a logical next step. Um, and as to the weather though, I, I don't think anything, no matter where you're from, I don't think anything prepares you for the, uh, the late July and August, four four p.m. just torrential downpour and uh, rain like it's never going to rain again for about a half hour, and then all of a sudden uh, clear up and that humidity. Oof, that's that's tough, man. Quick golf cart ride is not something that Billy and I usually say in our lexicon. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got to put some speed bumps out there between. Uh, between the, uh, <laughs> Depending on who the driver is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so our, my last thing, and we can't have, you know, have you on our podcast here and not talk about my, my favorite thing about St. Lucie and, and my favorite thing about your office typically is your, your massive, and that's an understatement, bobblehead collection that this year has been rightfully placed in its shrine in the front office, yes. of, uh, the, the St. Lucie Mets. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how that got started and uh, what it's sort of grown to become, which is just absolutely mind-blowingly impressive. <laughs> It's, I'll tell you what, it, it definitely, okay, just a quick backstory on this. As a kid growing up, collected pretty much everything. Big baseball fan, so collected the baseball cards. You name it, I collected it, basically. So transitioned to working in sports, I, you know, my first few years especially, uh, I would literally hold on to everything. And bobbleheads were no different. So I remember my first bobblehead, I think it was at the winter meetings. I uh, couldn't tell you what year it was. And it was a Joe Montana, just a promotional bobblehead a vendor was getting rid of, you know, kind of thing. I took it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, whatever. That was the one. And now we're up to, I think it's almost 671 now. I just added a couple new ones into the case not too long ago. So it, from that Joe Montana to, I think the most recent one was uh, a couple of Paw Patrol, uh, Marshall and Sky for my kids. So that's where we're at now. Um, but yeah, the bobblehead started off as a simple kind of modest thing in my office. One shelf grew to two shelves to three to four to five. And when we did this renovation, we had a couple really nice column trophy cases put in um, that we honestly weren't really sure what we were going to do with, you know, they were there for to put memorabilia or just kind of, you know, conversation pieces. And the idea was floated to, Hey, Trey, why don't you put your bobbleheads in there? And I was like, sure. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that given their, you know, proper due in my, my opinion and uh, credit to our maintenance manager. He built a really, a really nice kind of 
almost theater seating for them, kind of bleacher seating and a, kind of a really nice centerpiece for all the Met ones. And uh, shoot, it was about maybe a month or two ago, he finished it and we, I say we, myself and a couple of our staff members, we placed all at the time about 660 of them in the, in the, uh, in this big display case. And I thank you for the props, Billy. It, it's when it was all said and done, we were like, wow, this actually does look a lot cooler than we thought it was going to look. And yeah, um, I know as people walk through the office, they, you know, they're like, holy cow, is this always, you know, has this always been here? And we're like, no, no, Trey, just you know, whatever. So anyway, pretty yeah, fun. I love the, the display of it. it. It sort of has like a skyline feel like the Mets logo kind of thing, which I don't, I, that was my first, when I thought, uh, saw the video that you guys posted of it. Uh, it was pretty pretty cool, and I, I remember talking to Ethan uh, with the Mets about packing up all your bobbleheads and what a, when you guys were making the move and what a experience that must have been like. But uh, <laughs> is there like one is there is there like a, a, a Moby Dick out there that you haven't gotten that you want to get <laughs> into that collection that you've tried and searched and and just can't get a hold of? Boy, that's a that's a tough question. Um... It might even be a Moby Dick bobblehead. <laughs> there we go. You know, I technically I don't have one of those, so we may have to work on that. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this: I grew up a huge uh, Wade Boggs fan. So, growing up in Southern California, why I chose Wade Boggs as my favorite player, I, I don't know. But um, so that being said, the only Wade Boggs bobblehead I have is one that the the Tampa Tarpons gave away because uh, he went to high school over there in Tampa. And so it's a, it's him in a high school uniform and yeah, I never have, for whatever reason, never have gotten, you know, a traditional Red Sox or even a Yankee bobblehead of Wade. So that's one I guess I got to work on, but uh, you know, everyone always asks me too, like, what are my favorites? And it, it's hard to name just one, but um, it's like your kids, you know, you can't just pick one. They're all your favorites. <laughs> um, but I will say uh, of the many that I, I, I love, you know, like the, especially the personalities, the Jay Horowitz bobblehead, uh, you know, Mary Lou from our staff down here, we did one for her to surprise her for her 50th birthday way back when. Um, but I love the banana phone bobblehead that we did. And anyone that doesn't know the banana phone, it's a, it's a song, a kid's song, I think Rafi, I don't even remember who sings it, whatever, but we, for whatever reason, started playing that song during uh, visiting team pitcher changes, in, you know, during, a, during an inning. And that song's just kind of stuck and our fans really took a liking to it. And to this day, we continue to play that song at least, you know, once, twice a game. And for a while, we gave away a banana phone plush item, a banana phone T-shirt, and culminating in a banana phone bobblehead. So that was, uh, yeah, people love that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have a Wade Boggs uh, bobblehead out there, I would say Treyer Van Allen, Port St. Lucie, 31 Piazza Drive, Port St. Lucie, Florida, 34986. I just wanted to throw that out there. Just, just a little capper. Love the plug, Keith. Thank you. I will say when National Bobblehead Day does come around, I do get typically once a year emails from a number of, you know, random other bobblehead collectors and everything else. And they just, you know, either giving me props on the collection or if I've seen this particular doll or whatever. And, um, you know, it's fun to talk shop with them after work hours, of course. Yeah, I have I have a bit of a collection, nothing compared to yours, but the, the bobblehead universe, the, the, the black market for bobbleheads is... There's a there's a, a deep seedy underbelly to the bobblehead <laughs> collecting world that is uh it's unbelievable to see what gets done. You know, I, a few years ago we were at the winter meetings and they had uh, in in Washington and they were giving away the the racing presidents bobbleheads and that, that yes. was, I wanted all of those. I got a couple of them and I put them down and I went to go get a drink and I came back and they got swiped. 
So I have been scouring the internet to try to find them without having to donate my kid's college fund. <laughs> so that's, Billy, that's I, I remember that winter meetings and I think I ended up with a Dusty Baker and a, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt was the president that I ended up getting. And like you said, we got those early in the evening and they, we, this is a winter meetings, uh, you know, a nice reception they were hosting for us at the Nationals ballpark and, you know, typical other, uh, you know, social networking that's happening afterwards. And I managed to hold on to these two bobbleheads though the whole evening and they made it back to Florida with me. So I was pretty proud of myself for, uh, for doing that, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I left them with Gary Perone, and then <laughs> they got legs disappeared. <laughs> uh, real quick, the Sam Bobbleheads, I will say the Cyclones have been very generous to the collection, and you are by far the most uh, represented non, you know, aside from the New York Mets, you're the most represented other team in there, though. Um, I can't remember the exact count of how many, but the um, anyone that's seen the picture of the Bobbleheads, there is a little Seinfeld, little mini stand that has the numerous Seinfeld-themed uh, as you guys have done and that was uh that was pretty fun that means a lot you know that's like when you're when you're uh, your paintings hanging in the louvre that's uh, <laughs> I love, that. love it we well he's got in. sunglasses on his head uh that means one thing <laughs> that it's baseball season trayer van allen the general manager of the st Lucie mets handling spring training handling uh low a southeast baseball in 2021 appreciate a couple of minutes and when we see you we know that uh baseball is right around the corner so good luck and Thank you again for all that info. No, I really appreciate it. Great talking with you guys. Thanks, guys.